0: Will you open your Bibles, please, to the text that was read? We have been going through a series of messages with the theme, Reasons for Believing in God. And the first reason was because He exists. And we dealt with reasons we believe is because the Holy Spirit says He's real. And we begin this morning for the next four to six weeks, perhaps, on reasons for belief because Jesus has revealed Him as we are going to be studying this morning. You notice that the, the songs we were singing this morning all had the theme of Jesus in it because that's whom we are studying about Today, and I trust that you were able to follow that. Please pray with me. And now, Father, we are going to talk about the one in whom you delight. But we are not capable of doing that in and of ourselves. Oh, God. Only the Spirit can make known the things of Christ to us, because he is eternal as the Son of God is as God the Father is. So guide us now, our Father. May no careless words fall from my lips, no careless thoughts from our minds, but may we be able to understand with clarity this morning just who this Jesus Christ is and why it is important that we know him and follow him. We pray in his name. Amen. W.E.H. Lackey, you don't know of him, and I know of him only because I have read some of what he has said. He said this of Jesus Christ, the character of Jesus has not only been the highest pattern of virtue, but the strongest incentive in its practice and has excited so deep an influence that it may be truly said that the simple record of the three years of his active life has done more to regenerate and to soften mankind than all the disquisitions of philosophers and the exhortation of the moralist. W. Lackey was not a Christian, didn't profess to be one, but he studied the life of Jesus and found that There was no comparison at all whatsoever to this Christ. I searched for and found, you may have heard it, but I thought it might be well worth reading again. One solitary life. He never owned a home, he never wrote a book, he never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place of his birth. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the one piece of property on earth that he owned his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race, the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched all the navies that ever, uh, that ever b- were built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon the earth as this one solitary life. When I gave Letha the title for the message this morning, the peerlessness of Jesus, as she has said in many, many ways, are you sure that's a word? <laughs> she was trying to spell something. Else. No, I said it's peerless. And, and if you want to check me out, you can check the dictionary later on, by the way. It is found in the dictionary. I have four of them in my own office, so I am not going through. Anyone knows what the word peerless means? I beg your pardon? Without peer. peer. (laughs) Almost there. Incomparable. Nobody is able to come beside him and be equal to him. This morning as we study this life of Christ, you might want to know why. We know Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But my friends, how many people know that and it has meant absolutely nothing to them? It has not changed their lives. It hasn't given them the capacity to deal with the issues of life. I went to my computer last night about, I don't know, 11 o'clock, just to check to see if I had any messages. And there was a message from a friend in Toronto she said, This has been a devastating day. My son in law, he's about 30, was shaving this morning and was arrested by a massive stroke. And we don't know whether he'll be able to walk or talk again. Less than 30 years old. How do you deal with life? If Jesus Christ is not whom he claims to be. My friends, we are on the sorry end of the whole mess. We become what the writer says, we may as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Jesus Christ came into the world to confront everything with which we are confronted with and to give us the capacity, the ability deal with them, but he had to be whom he claimed to be. He couldn't be Peter. He couldn't be James. He couldn't be John. He had to be Jesus alone. And this morning we want to look at two aspects of his life to begin the series on the life of Jesus. We want to look at his claims. His claims. Who does Jesus claim to be. This was the issue in John 8. If you read the entire chapter, the conflict was not upon about what Jesus did. The conflict was about who Jesus claimed to be. It is one thing for us to be able to say Jesus did this and Jesus did that. But then he claimed to be more than he did. This is what we want to look at and trust that God will open our understanding ...to this truth this morning. John 8, 54 to 56. I want to suggest three things about the claims of Jesus. Number one, the claims of Jesus is sacred. It is sacred. And the reason I say that, because he said this, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. In other words... The claims of Jesus was not a delusion or a dream or something he was looking to try to bring attention to himself. (laughs) If he was talking like any ordinary man, he would be trying to call attention to what he was doing and all his attention would be wrapped up in himself. That's how self-made religion exists today. In this chapter, the main conflict is who this man is. In this first part of the chapter, our Lord responded to the charges with three different claims. Number one, Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, which assumes that the world is in darkness. That's his first claim. Number two, he claims to be able to liberate humanity from the slavery of sin. It means that Jesus then has the power to overcome what overpowers men and women, of course. Number three, he claimed to have an eternal perspective on life. Every other person talks about heaven as something that has actually been given to them in certain visions and dreams. Jesus comes from there. He has an eternal perspective on life. When he speaks, he speaks not only of time, but of eternity, and he tells how these two connect with each other. So we've got to ask ourselves the question Is he a fraud? Is he a figment of the imagination? Is he simply a myth? Was this man some kind of delusionary individual of the first century? I have read this before and I read it again without apologies. Taken from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the real foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, says C.S. Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who said he's a pouch egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him, you may kill him, and you may even claim him to be a demon some dead. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The claims of Jesus. He makes claims that no other being can make apart from being a member of the Trinity you will not find it from buddha you will not find it from 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 nietzsche you'll not find it from any human leader who has influenced the world you will not find them saying the things that jesus said you will find them competing with it but not to claim it only a fool i was trying to get from emma i understand that some some group or something was naming themselves and they named themselves the i am (laughs) with capital letters, my friends, that doesn't belong to any homo sapien. <laughs> that doesn't belong to anything created. and That's what the, the, the contemporaries of Jesus, we'll, ex, we'll explore them later on, that's what they were trying to find out. We must find some flaw in what this man is saying because he's making claims, so much so, that one of the Pharisees went to him by night and said, no man can do the things that you are doing, except God is with him. The claims of Jesus unparalleled in the history of the human race. Secondly, let's look at the substance of his claim. Was there anything at all in the claims of Jesus Christ that one could say, there's something fishy here. Notwithstanding the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) In fact, I heard in the news this past week, I think tonight, and and, and if you want something better to do tonight, don't follow what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Because tonight, I think public television is going to be presenting the case for Jesus. Imagine public television telling me what to believe. They have found the proof for Jesus. My friends, I have the proof right here. And not only do I have the proof here, I have the proof right here. See, this is not a figment of imagination. What this is, my friends, is really, as Jesus said, there is the truth. And so what is the substance? Listen to what he says. Verse 54, the second part. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If all I am looking for is to build an earthly empire around me, I am just like any other man. But listen to what Jesus said. It is my Father who glorifies me. I, I want you to, to see something. And I checked this out myself. Every place where God speaks from heaven, He speaks to vindicate His Son. Every time a voice was heard from heaven, it was God saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. This is my beloved Son, whom I love. I have glorified you, and I will glorify you again. God ultimately, never says that of any other human being. He said it only of his son. So when Jesus said, it is my father who glorifies me, he is claiming that the ultimate reality, the ultimate authority, vindicates his ministry on earth. He was not some other created being. It was God who was saying from heaven, if you please, if I may reverently say this, When God vindicates his son from heaven, he was saying a member of the Trinity is no longer in eternity, he is on earth. The substance of his message is that God was the one who vindicated him. God was the one who said to Peter, don't equate my son or bring any other person up to him or him down to them. And the month of transfiguration, Peter said, it is good for us to be here, Lord. Let me, let me build a temple, a shed for, for, for uh, Elijah, and one for Moses, and one for Jesus. Doesn't that, that, that sound good? Let me build one for Jesus along with these wonderful, historical, religious, Jewish leaders. And the moment Moses, uh, uh, Peter said that, the scripture says, The heavens opened. A cloud came over them. And a voice came from heaven. And that voice said, This is my beloved son. Singular. Not sons. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Because the only one who could speak with an eternal perspective is the one who has come from the eternal dwelling. This is why it's important for us to believe in Jesus. Because if Jesus is whom he claims to be, and he is, he's going to tell us about how to get to heaven. He's going to tell us what's wrong with us and what God has done about it. No one else has that capacity. Thirdly, the sanction. The sanction of Jesus' claim. The claim of Christ in this verse is to place his claim, that his claim reaches beyond human history the jews claim that their history goes back to abraham listen listen if you please in verse 56 what they say to jesus your father abraham jesus said rejoice to see my day and i'll come back to that and he saw it and was glad so the jews said to him you are not yet 50 years old and you're talking about abraham You should see some of the comments that I've read on this. I can't imagine how anyone could get things out of that, but some scholars do. What what are they saying? They are saying that the connection that we make to where we are now comes from one that was sanctioned by God 2,000 years before, Abraham. The, The claim of Christ in this verse is that his Claims go beyond human history. It doesn't stop with Abraham. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 2,000 years before the event, the scripture says that Abraham saw Christ. Now, try to put that one in your mind's And come to conclusion. How did he see Christ? On our Wednesday night studies, we are studying the Beatitudes. And and this week we'll be looking at what Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do you see God? I thought you couldn't see God. Well, Jesus said in this text that Abraham saw his day. What was his day? Abraham saw The coming of the Messiah in the person from eternity. How did he see that? He was taking his son up to the mountain as a sacrifice to God by obeying God. And as he made his way up the mountain, Isaac said to his father, Daddy, I see the fire, I see the altar. But I don't see the lamb. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Here's Abraham. God will provide himself a lamb. In those moments, friends, Abraham is understanding that there will come a substitute. A substitute for what's The lies he told, Abraham told. The lies Isaac was going to be telling later on. In fact, he goes beyond that. That sacrifice is is going to come to God as an answer for God's judgment upon the sin of the whole human race. And it's going to be borne by the lamb that God is going to provide. And Jesus said 2,000 years afterwards, Abraham saw my day and he was glad because he knew that there was ultimately an answer for the demise of the human race. Abraham saw that. Faith sees that. How do you see God? You see God in his works. You see God in what he's doing in human history. In fact, you read the 11th chapter of Hebrews and the scripture says that Moses endured as seeing Christ. With your eyes upon him, my friends, we can deal with the issues of life without him. I watched yesterday, last night in the news from Toronto. I bet you've never had so much news from Toronto until I came here. But that little boy that walked out into the cold and froze to death, his funeral was yesterday. And I watched and I listened to all the things that were being said. And the father of the little boy said, he's now dead. And they read from the book of uh, uh, 1 Samuel and so on. And, you know, I heard everything. But the one thing I did not hear, neither, I mean, of course, you're looking at the news, so you'll just get what the news wants to give you, so I've got to be careful. But the one thing I didn't hear is how their faith anchored in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross because the only thing that can defeat defeat death is the death of Christ. I I didn't hear that. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day because Abraham understood that only God can answer the charge that he put upon himself, that the soul that sinned it should die. No human being is able to die for his own sins. So how is anyone going to die? And God said, I will provide myself the lamb.' And Abraham saw the day of Christ 2,000 years before. And he rejoiced. That's the claims of Jesus. He not only made claims, he proved them to be accurate. So we move then from the claims of Jesus to the consciousness of Jesus. The consciousness of You know, when I, when I was a young chap, many, many moons ago, For those of you who are older, I, I used to <laughs> I used to dream that I was Duke Snyder. Those of you who are older will know who Duke Snyder is. He was a famous Brooklyn Dodger player, center fielder for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And I have been a Brooklyn Dodger fan all those years, even though I still root for the Blue Jays. If they play against the Brooklyn Dodgers, it's something are uh, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers something else. And Duke Snyder was a left-handed batter. And I was a right-handed batter. And because I wanted to be like Duke Snyder, I learned to switch hit. I wanted to, I mean, in my mind, I I could see, and I, I had the dream of one day getting to the major leagues. I did. I practiced day and night learning everything about the game of baseball. then the day came when I was not Duke Snyder, and that is because God changed everything in my life. But I lived with this sense of seeing myself at the bottom of the ninth inning, the Dodgers behind by one run, there are two runners in scoring position, and I am up to bat. You know how the game ended. Each of us live with a consciousness of ourselves. Who are we? Who is that person? Am I like this person? We we, we are alive, so we know we have consciousness of, of, of who we think we are, who we'd like to be. We live with that. Well, Jesus lived with a consciousness as well, friends. And his consciousness is seen in his claims. Look at verses 57 and 58. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Now I wonder how many of you have read what I have in there, the confusion of his critics. Listen to what they say. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you said you have seen Abraham? Is that what Jesus said? Look at the text. He didn't say that. He didn't say he saw Abraham. He said Abraham saw him. But you see, my friends, that's how religion works. Religion always changes what God says and then responds to their changes. See, what they were trying to find is some reason why Jesus, the, the claims of Jesus could not be accurate. They were confused because they put into their own minds and they began to philosophize. You are not yet 50 years old and you say, Jesus didn't say that. It still happens today. There are people who change the scriptures and then respond to the changes they have made and try to make Jesus say that. I didn't see the movie. Nor have I read the book, but I've read excerpts. From it, The Last Temptation of Christ. In that book, which was made into a movie, the director had a scene in which Satan passed before Jesus while he was on the cross. And the author, the the, the director had Satan saying to Jesus, You should have rejected the cross. And Jesus is agreeing with Satan. I should have rejected the cross. You could have had a home in Bethany. I could have had a home in Bethany. I could have been married to Mary or Martha. You know what I would have... If, if I were in the presence of that man, what I, what I would ask him, have you ever read the Bible? You see what he did? He took his own imagination and put it into something of Christ on the cross. My friends, no one but Jesus could understand what was happening on the cross, not even Mel Gibson. When Jesus was on the cross, he was not conscious of Satan. He was conscious of God. Remember his cry after those three hours? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not Satan. Satan had nothing to do with the cross. For this reason, because he knew that the cross spoke of his demise. The cross was between the Father who gave the Son. My, Jesus said, I must do the works of him who has sent me, and for this cause came I into the world. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross has nothing to do with wanting a wife, wanting a home in Bethany, wanting to do away with the call of God. He said, this is my Father's will, and nevertheless it is your will that must be done on earth, not mine. The confusion of the critics continues to this very moment. We have people who call themselves Jesus followers and they don't believe in miracles. We have people who call themselves Jesus followers and they don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. We have people who say they believe in Jesus and they say, but he was never raised from the dead. And we continue to live with our confusion. And here is one of the tragedies of our times, friends. Not only do we live with our confusions, we have learned how to accept them. We are now able to live with conflicting views of Jesus. As one woman said, I am a Muslim as well as a Christian. How do you put those two together? But we have come to the place where our confusion is now a sign of maturity. Where our denial of truth is a sign of intellectual honesty. Huh. The confusion. I can give you a lot more, but I don't need to. Because I want to get to the confession before his critics. Not only do we see the critics confused, but we see his confession before them. He didn't back away from it. Listen to what he says. You say that you are Abraham's children. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And if you were Abraham's children, you would be saying, Abraham was right. Abraham was right. But I want you to know something. Before Abraham was... Let me, let me suggest something first. In the King James translation, he said, Verily, verily, I say to you. The newer translations transliterated the word, the Greek word, and the Hebrew word as well, to say, truly, truly, or this is truth. What is truth? Before Abraham was born, before Abraham existed, there was a time when Abraham did not exist. Not somewhere else in yonder star, he did not exist. So before he came into existence, I existed. I am. I am is a term for deity that is used by God alone to speak of the self-existing one. Whenever we read the word Lord, capital letters, or Jehovah, we're looking at the transliteration of the, the term I am. And Jesus said, Before Abraham was, not I was, because that means that he had a beginning. I am. He had no beginning. So, divinity has no past or future, but always present. To say, I am, is to declare one's deity. He introduces it to us. This. this is a truth. Jesus said, If I do not say who I am and tell you something else, I will be lying the same way you are living a lie. Jesus cannot deny himself. The word from which we get the word verily, verily is the word amen. A-M-E-N. Literally the word means it is so. We usually use it to conclude a prayer, but that's not the way the word is used here. By saying amen is like saying yes. But more than that, let let me tell you what is happening here. Jesus is not simply saying that he has come with the truth. He's saying he is the truth. I'm not only telling you something which I've gotten from someone else. I'm telling you what I have said. Abraham lived anticipating my day. And what Abraham was anticipating is now here. He's now here. That's why we were singing the songs this morning. Focusing upon Jesus and who he is. By claiming that he is the truth. Please listen. Jesus implies that all he claims is true and nothing is false. Therefore, it is the fundamental uh, uh, pursuit of life. This is fundamental. That anything that contradicts what Jesus said is fundamentally false. We we cannot, and we will not apologize for that. No pressure from government or any other one will cause us to think differently from Jesus than what he presented about himself. Why? Because, my friends, if we are wrong about Jesus, we are wrong about eternity. And if we are right about Jesus, he's saying, that the truth about the eternal perspective can only be found in Him. Try any other way and you will fall short of it. He is peerless. You know the song. There is a song I love to sing, I love to tell its worth. Why? Because nobody can do for, Jesus, for, for us what only Jesus can do for the soul. And as a result of that, we love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, it could be that someone has been struggling with why is it so important to worry about Jesus? Well, I trust that the answer came that if you miss Jesus, you miss all of life in this life and in the life to come. And that they might realize that only in trusting Jesus Christ can one come to the place where one can know eternal life now and then the reality and the rest of it for beyond the grave. May your spirit take your word and fulfill the purpose for which it was delivered to bring glory to yourself and to bring the message of salvation to us all. In Jesus' name, amen.